Happy Thanksgiving, everybody, and welcome to the Deceptively Fast podcast. Today, a special treat. We're back to having both Sean Pendergast and Michael Lombardi. Sean does a good job of talking me out of all of my excitement about the Monday Night Football game with the Chiefs versus the Rams. I, I had been exuberant about it. He turned me into a grumpy old man, so enjoy that half-hour transition. And then Michael Lombardi, as always, is phenomenal. He's not a grumpy old man about the direction of the NFL. I don't know how Michael Lombardi ended up being younger than Sean Pendergast and I, but it's a happy Thanksgiving miracle. Enjoy the show. There you go. You hear that? Usually I do that post-production. I put that music in just for you so you could feel official. (laughs) It's Thanksgiving. Um, uh, A happy Thanksgiving to you. And I'm sure you're excited because you've got your picks in early and you're ready for a day of now that your children are adults. You can uh, you can just enjoy the day. Yeah, well, they're, they'll be in Chicago, so I you know it's I get to see my my two boys both go to college here in Texas, so I see them kind of all the time. I see them a lot more than I've seen them the last few years because they they went to high school in Chicago while I'm living down here. Um, but yeah, they're all going to Chicago, so even if even if they were here, they would know that it's time to be self-sufficient and let dad get into his tryptophan <laughs> coma on the couch and, and let, th- watch let, all the ball. Let daddy make some money with his picks. That's it, man. And I did better last week for the people. I recovered from my one glitch that one four and one week mm-hmm. two weeks ago. I was four and two this past week. That's all right. You're doing too well. You needed to remember. Uh, <laughs> I did. You know, you needed to keep humble. I needed to be humbled. And the the gambling gods, if there are any gods out there that will humble you, they are the gambling gods. Yeah, for you sure. don't want to ignore in victory what you would address in defeat. But nope. it's hard. It's hard to do that sometimes. So sometimes the defeats help. Yeah, you. the tough part now is, man. You know, and I don't have them this weekend on my card only because they're, they're now they're a team that's laying double digits to a team that's actually a 500 football team. Uh, the Indianapolis Colts are minus 10 and a half against the Dolphins this weekend. It's scary when you, you're trying to reconsider what that team is. Yeah, and I I, I want to climb on the Colts. The problem is that now that the Texans are good this year, at least have a good record this year. I am cognizant of my gambling interest intersecting with my actual football rooting interests. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I, there is part of me, you know, I like the emotion of sports. I like rooting for my team. I like rooting for good things for my team. And so in that sense, maybe I'm not the, the – maybe I don't have the coldest gambling heart in the world that I need in order to be peak gambler because I feel like the Colts are a team right now that is that is you know, they're – they're protecting Andrew Luck so he hasn't been touched. He hasn't been sacked in five games. They didn't touch him in the last game. He didn't get hit. Um, so, uh, yeah, we're getting to that time of the year where the, with the Texans at seven and three, there's going to be a lot of things that I, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to do a lot of negotiating with myself to climb on some of these picks. But at the end of the day, I will do what I'll do. I will do right by the people. At the uh, end of the day, since we're talking about football, I think it's illegal to talk about football this week without addressing the Monday night game, yeah. uh, the St. Louis Rams versus the Kansas City Chiefs. Something that, in in many people's haste, they're claiming is the greatest regular season victory of all time, which is nonsense. Because well, it was a great football game. Don't make me wrong, but it didn't even go into overtime. Um, but. It's a harbinger of things to come, and that's what I think is most significant. Is Do you mean between those two teams or the look of the NFL going forward? I think the look of the NFL going you forward. You and I talked about this on this podcast like a month ago. Yeah. You were asking me about the sort of this new NFL that we're in right now where it's more higher scoring, it's uh, the, the you know they're 
the offenses are getting a lot of the advantages. Obviously, all the physicality rules would tend to favor offense over defense with yeah. respect to penalties and roughing the pass. You know, quarterbacks have never been more protected than they are than they are right now. I'm not, and I know there were three defensive touchdowns scored in the game, and it was a fun game to watch. Don't get me wrong. So I'm not here to poo-poo the game. Ah, oh, that stunk. But I'm, I, I'm kind of with where I think I know where you were going, which is I saw the reaction to the game on Twitter, and and again, Twitter's a, the worst place to gauge an extreme reaction to anything because that's all it is is just extreme reaction by a very small microcosm of the universe. But all the people going, oh, rematch, got to see this again, got to see this again. It's two good teams. It was an entertaining game. I would rather see – let's put somebody – I want to see the Saints go against the Chiefs. Oh, that's a good point. I want yeah, to see a team with a real defense and, a, and an actual running game. Yeah. And I know they have Todd Gurley on the Rams, but they ignored Todd Gurley for the first two and a half quarters of that game. I don't know what I prefer or what I don't. I know that I'd like to intellectually complain about how the – it almost seems random to a point. It almost seems like, all right, whoever has the ball last is going to end up winning yes. this game. It's like um, a tennis match. You're, right. you're waiting for somebody to break serve. But at the same time, I enjoyed the hell out of it. And I, it's not something I would ever turn away from. So I, I like that excitement of it. I do wonder, I think in, in trying to claim that this is where the NFL is going, look, it's a done deal. There's way more offense this yes. year. You've got, I, I can't even remember how many quarterbacks have over a 100 passer rating at this point it's something over 10 yeah you know like it's it's really high how efficient the offense is right now but I wonder too if we're also kind of underestimating the fact that hey this is the Rams and the Chiefs this is Jared Goff and this is this is Pat Mahomes it's not so simple and easy to have an offense quite like this and these defenses are not great I, the, yeah. the Chiefs defense has statistically been a bad defense all year they've got some playmakers on the defense I mean obviously they made when they started to kind of get into a groove in that game, it coincided with them getting a push against Jared Goff. Um, and then the Rams defense, I feel like, has a lot of big names on it that just haven't nearly lived up to what the star power is just because they, they, they haven't done a good job of getting after the passer. They scored a couple defensive touchdowns in the game, though, and that ultimately was the was the difference in the game. Um, so, yeah, I I here's where I'm at with it, Seth, I think, is that I – I like my I think everybody likes their football a certain way. And I'm not I'm not crazy about low scoring football. I don't think a lot of people are. I think generally as a society in as sports fans we love offense. At least that's the narrative that's out there because every sport when they make tweaks are geared to increasing the scoring. But I'm just not I'm not fans of I'm not a fan of games played in the high 40s and and this one into the 50s. I like a nice 31-27 game uh -huh. where everybody has sort of chipped in somewhere along the way. And the, the analogy I make for that game on Monday night or games like it, your wrestling fan listeners, and I know there are wrestling fans that listen to the Deceptively Fast podcast, a wrestling match is telling a story along the way where there's an ebb and a flow and a back and a forth, and it's nice in wrestling because you can script it. And every wrestling match is scripted like a 31-28 to football game where each team kind of gets theirs, the offense and defense, whatever. The 54 to 51 type of game is like watching two wrestlers go in the ring and just do finishing moves to each other the entire <laughs> yeah. time. They're just doing their high spots. The right, whole time. right. Like they start the match. There's not even a beginning where there's a there's a back and a forth and a little bit of jostling. Or they're just going. To it. They're going yeah. straight to Superfly Snooka off the top rope every single spot. You know what it is? It's an action movie that just doesn't know how to take a it's, break. You, you know, know sometimes like yes. like, a, like a 20 minute chase scene where you're just like, all right, I just this is enough already. My 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 synapses are fried. I can't take. 
take any it's more of this. It's the last 45 minutes of every Transformers movie. Yeah. Oh, is really? what it is. I, have you, do, it, no, it, I've never okay, seen it. Okay, I, I, I've only gone because I take my kids to yeah. them. I hate the Transformers movies because here's why. First of all, to your point, the last 45 minutes is all just gigantic machines tearing up the entire world in an effort for one side to beat the other side. So I hate that because <laughs> it just never ends. There's no context to it. It's clearly just there to draw in some eight- and nine-year-old sensory stuff so they'll buy all the toys. The second thing is, and I've never understood this, like at the end of the Transformers movies, and these superhero movies, quite honestly, we're supposed to feel like really good that the good side won. We ignore the fact that ultimately along the way, the entire city gets torn up worse than 9-11. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, the, yeah. Yeah, the Avengers one, which I don't know, I can't even remember which recent one it was, but the one where like the Eastern European city gets like elevated up into, and <laughs> yeah. just completely like, destroyed. How, and you're like, wait a minute, how, how are, how are, of course they all need to go to jail. Yeah. Like, I mean, what, do you, what do you mean? Of course, like. How am I supposed to be happy well, at the end of this? I'm supposed to root for these people to get out of right. jail? Tony Stark's creation destroyed an entire city. Right. Is there a deleted scene that I don't know of afterwards where J.J. Watt starts a GoFundMe account <laughs> yeah, for these people? Like, this, this, the world is torn to pieces. And, like, and Tony Stark is like, my bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's why, like, when people are like, you don't like those superhero movies? I've been to a few of them. I'm not wild about them. You know what it is? You know what this is like? It's like uh, it's it's like you're in a long-term relationship with somebody, and this is like the 45, 45th minute of sex. Yeah. <laughs> like, all right, nobody, nobody, wants that. nobody wants 45 straight minutes of sex. Right, right. Like, like, I'm missing the, I'm missing the second yeah. Seinfeld on the cube right now. This is like, okay, maybe on your birthday or something special. <laughs> We'd be crazy. done by 1130. Well, yeah, this is enough. I've had enough excitement, Pat Mahomes. I can, suspend, I can suspend disbelief with the best of them. I think as a wrestling fan, you have to be able to do that because you know you're watching something scripted. But, like, with respect to movies and TV shows, yeah, I'll suspend it. Because there will be some people that go, oh, you don't buy this whole they tore up the city thing, but you love Game of Thrones. Yeah. And it's like, well, I know Game of Thrones isn't real. I know that's not to these movies are taking place like in New York and Chicago. <laughs> like these are right in our backyard. I'm like, there would be a day after all this stuff and it wouldn't be a happy day. It is, after. I think that's the father in us. It's that you're, you're watching it. It's, right. it's, it's, it's like, aren't kids magical and wonderful? Well, like, yeah, except for cleaning up after him. I'm going around. He's three years old. He's tearing yes. up the place. And I'm like, that's what you feel like. Yes. It feels like parenting. So we say all this to say that 54 to 51 is a little overrated. I, I just talked my way into not liking that game. <laughs> I actually, 10 minutes, Minutes ago, I actually liked that game. You brought up a great point um, the other night, which was that, look, defensive coaches might be SOL when yeah. it comes to getting a job. And I actually, I, after you said that, I went and looked at a hot list of coaches. And the only defensive name I saw on there, get ready for this, was Dennis Allen. Dennis oh Allen and Jack, T- and Jack Del Rio. So there were Jack two Del Rio, so Other again. than that, it's, you know, it's, it's – it's, it's, uh, How could – so Jack Del Rio can simultaneously be a reason why you replace a guy with a hot coach – to a hot coach at the same time. Although they did replace him with Gruden, so I think they were just looking to replace him with a sexy name. And truth be told, I, I doubt that was actually a very good article. It was just the best web optimized. Yeah, it was I the first you. one that, that I got popped you. up so, for my search. So, yeah, I mean, as a former player, and especially a former defensive player, do you – how do you how do you feel about that? Well, like the direction I, of it going forward. I think look, you're always going to have to have great offensive coordinators, um, and that's where the focus will be. But again, it's just like in the NBA. Look, look for the the Houston Rockets. One of the best additions they had last year was Jeff Bizdelic, um, or their over the last couple yeah. of years was their defensive specialist. Because no matter how great the offenses are, okay, you're not going to shut them down, but right. can you limit those offenses? Yeah, and I and I wonder too. 
I think the playmaking, and this goes back to something Dom Capers always stressed, was the most valuable guys on a defense are guys that can turn the ball over. Yes. So corner ball hawking cornerbacks or safeties, yeah. uh, defensive ends that can either get a strip sack yeah. or force a fumble, um, uh, or excuse me, force an interception. Yeah. I think those become that much more of a premium because why did the Chiefs lose that game? They lost because they turned the ball over five times yeah. more than anything. Guys that can break serve, like yeah. we said before, break serve with one play. Even look at the Texans game, Seth. Justin Reed with the pick six. That pick six embedded into that game becomes one of the most, one of the top three or four most important plays of the year for the. And I'll say it before they've even played their last six games. That Justin Reed interception is going to wind up being one of the three most important plays of the entire oh, sure. season. Oh, and I'll tell you, they're going in to go up 14-10, and now all of a sudden you're up seven. You you go from being down four, yeah. with a challenged offense. Let's face it, to being up ten points in a team against a team that is also working with a bit of a you know their own set of challenges offensively. And I do think too um for one, I don't think there are going to be any rule changes because they're all safety-based. The things that are providing more offense aren't specifically to provide more offense. Yeah. It's that they're safety-based. The only thing you could really do is allow defensive backs to be more handsy like they are in college. And honestly, now that we are where we are, I have no idea how you legislate that. Like, yeah. I, don't, I have no idea how you go back to like, okay, we're actually going to let the defensive backs rough up the offensive players a lot more yeah. um, it, it, without – Especially in this day and age of replay without, like, massive fan objection. Yeah. I think that ends up hurting them. Yeah. the This is what I – because I think I heard you guys talking about this on on, uh, on Mad Radio about this coaching thing. And it to a degree, it's the same type of thing in college, too. Like, every – I feel like all the – like, a lot of college programs are looking for the young, hot offensive guy. But we'll keep it focused on the NFL because it's a much smaller universe in terms of quantity of teams. I, I always have a hard time with we need to find a coach that is X because X is working for these three or four teams and they're the best teams in football right now because it's a little like analytics. Like, the, yeah, the Rockets and teams like the Rockets were using analytics. Well, now everybody uses them, so right. everybody uses them. So now what's the next thing? I almost feel like in the NFL you need to be more looking at what's the thing we can be doing differently that ru- that runs not necessarily directly contrary to this offensive trend or whatever, but like, if everybody like if that was, if it was as simple as just going and finding a young offensive coordinator who's this great intellectual play caller, I think it does a disservice to guys like Sean McVay yeah. and, and Andy Reid to an extent, Sean Payton, guys like that to just go. Well, we need to find the next one of those. Well, and also too, okay, neither of those two coaches did a good job of closing that game out. You could argue that they both scored too fast at the end of the game, and um, you're good. You're good. <laughs> Sorry about that. I'm not gonna. I was Coffee gonna say, went go, down the wrong. I was pipe. gonna say I'd go back and edit that out, but I'm not gonna. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. I was anticipating something awful. <laughs> I I Seth, like, oh, to hold great. on a second, He's finger. Vomit. <laughs> Continue with what you were saying. <laughs> um, that okay for one. It could have served them well to slow the pace down a little bit at the end, so the scoring doesn't have to be as torrid. Um, the other two is that since turnovers were the issue in that game, I, I think one thing that offensive coaches, NFL coaches are always worried about is that the more wide open you are, the more you spread it out, the more creative you are with your play calling, the more chances there are for things to go bad. Mm-hmm. So there are more chances for turnovers and whatnot. And and then again, that turns over to, okay, who are the more opportunistic defense? Yeah, that that's why the, the on the offensive end of those things, when you're talking about spreading it out, that's why I'd like to see the Saints play the Chiefs. Yeah. Because, one, it's a fresh matchup. We haven't seen it yet this year. But, two, the, I, I feel like the Saints do have that club in their bag with 
Ingram and Kamara in the backfield. Like, if Sean Payton wants to play a game at a pace where maybe the Chiefs are a little uncomfortable mm-hmm. playing it, he he can do that. Or if he you know if he wants to leave it up to Drew Brees, he can do that too. And I don't think the Saints are a great defensive team, but I think they're better than both of the teams that played on Monday night. Well, let's use that to get into your picks because okay. this this is one of those healthy NFL spreads that makes you really nervous. And it's Atlanta plus thirteen. Uh, as they face New Orleans in Atlanta, correct? This is in Atlanta? No, no. Oh, this is in New Orleans. It's in New Orleans. That's right, because uh, Atlanta threw – that's right, Matt Ryan threw for five touchdowns in Atlanta the first time. Yeah. Um, So this is Atlanta plus 13. Plus 13. Versus New Orleans. Who are you taking in this? I'm taking taking the points. I'm taking Atlanta plus 13 in this game. It actually opened at 14-and-a-half. I wish I'd gotten it at 14-and-a-half because – 14, as we know, is a football number. Um, But I I like Atlanta in this game, and I know it runs contrary to everything both these teams have been doing this year. The Saints have not only been 9-1 straight up, they're 8-2 against the spread. They've destroyed their last two opponents. They beat the Bengals 51-14 a couple weeks ago. They beat the Eagles 48-7 last week. The rules are normally in gambling that when a team wins by four touchdowns or more, you fade them the following week. So if you had faded the Saints last week off of the Bengals game, not only would you have lost your bet, but you'd be sitting on another opportunity to fade them this week. I'm not betting against them necessarily because of that. I'm betting against them here just because these games between these two teams, Seth, are always shootouts, it feels like. It it feels like these two teams, regardless of what trajectory either team is on, because we've had seasons recently where the Falcons have been one of the better teams in the NFC. And the Saints have been a a nine and or a seven and nine eight and eight kind of team, but these games always feel like they are they're thirty eight to thirty four kind of games. It seems like the classic <laughs> division rivalry where you can throw the records out the window, and then also the extra wild card factor is that it's on short rest. It's a Thursday game, not even, which is worse than a well. This is the evening game, so it's like a Thursday night game. Yeah, um, I'm with you too. I couldn't bring myself to do it. The other thing too is that. The Falcons, as bad as they are on defense, um, and, and they are woefully bad on defense, yeah. they've only gotten truly thumped by the Steelers. All the other games have been close. Yeah. Um, and I just don't know in this short week if Sean Payton and Drew Brees' game planning brilliance has enough time to kind of grab traction versus the Falcons. Yeah, and, I, and, and you, you know, you always wonder, too, um, in a Thursday game, like if the, <clears throat> if the Saints do get a lead in this game, let's say they're up three touchdowns in the fourth quarter – I could totally see Matt Ryan driving down and getting some sort yep. of backdoor cover in this game. So I I was shocked. I know Atlanta is four and six this year, but they're a four and six team that's generally been getting fairly well respected in the yeah. betting community. I was shocked that this was a two touchdown uh, spread. I'm no I don't know <laughs> what to think of the Saints defense yet. I still don't it seems like everything went from well, the same old Saints defense, it was regression to like, oh wait, no, but they got Eli Apple and the linebackers are playing great, so now they're awesome. Right. I'm not quite there yet. Yeah, especially yeah. versus a guy that had five touchdowns versus yep. versus them the last week. The other one was a team that you and I just watched closely, uh Washington plus eight you're taking them over Dallas yeah I don't know that they'll win the game but yeah. I but I I like Washington getting more than a touchdown against Dallas it's as much a play against Dallas as it is a play on Washington in this situation Seth uh Dallas look two weeks ago everybody was wondering who the replacement for Jason Garrett is going to be and now so you're t- what you're telling me is within two weeks and change now all of a sudden they should be favored by the team that's leading their division by over a touchdown at home I think there's two things at work here for me. One is Dallas is a very public team, which means their spread is always, especially on Thanksgiving, Well, you'll have a lot of square bettors betting on Dallas when they're going to be televised nationally on a holiday like this. So the spread with Dallas is always going to be inflated by a couple of points. The other, the other things 
I don't think there's a massive drop-off from Alex Smith to Colt McCoy. I'm mm-hmm. not a huge Alex Smith guy. We saw it in that Texans game. In a lot of ways, <laughs> Colt McCoy might be just more willing to just let it fly. Yeah. And uh, whether that's good or whether it's bad, I think they might end up being a more explosive offense. They Yeah, a little higher variance. So, so, there's, so I don't – if there's any sort of quarterback – inflation built into this line because of Smith to McCoy, some perceived drop-off. I'm not buying into that. Dallas is also historically under Garrett not been a good big favorite. In their last 20 games as a favorite of more than a touchdown, they are 4-16 and 16 against the spread. Oh, wow. Which kind of maps to what we see with our eyes, right? The da- yeah. Dallas has normally been a team where when we finally expect something of them, they, they completely shatter our hopes and dreams. Oh, Amari Cooper has made more of a difference than I was willing to believe he might. He's been good. And uh, he might have single-handedly saved Jason Garrett's job. Like, I have this image of of Jason Garrett, like the little guy in uh, Master Blaster yeah. in Mad Max. Like, Jason Garrett is the little guy standing on <laughs> Amari Cooper's shoulders, <laughs> kind of directing yes. things. But Amari Cooper is the one that's doing the real work. <laughs> right. now, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Dak Prescott's completing over 70% of his passes. Ezekiel Elliott is averaging over 100 yards per game over the last three games. Yeah. It's, it's changed it a lot, and it's masked some of Dak Prescott's weaknesses because he's still not a polished NFL passer by no. any means. But he also, like, he needs to see an open receiver. There were no – there were very few open receivers before him. I, I feel there. like the rest of the NFC East, Seth, is like I that – Maybe not the NFC East because they compete directly with the Cowboys, but I feel like the rest of football maybe yeah. wants the Cowboys to win just enough to keep Jason Garrett around, right? Like just enough. Don't go – I mean, most people who – if you don't root for the Cowboys, you hate the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. There's no in-between. But the best way to keep the Cowboys from really peacocking and becoming the Cowboys again is to keep them at 7-9 and nine or 8-8 eight and eight so that Jason Garrett's not bad enough for Jerry Jones to fire one of his adopted sons. Well, and that's why that Amari Cooper trade might be above and beyond worse than it looked like on the surface because you're doing that <laughs> trade presumably to find out what you really need to know about Dak Prescott and yeah. Jason Garrett and all those things, and it might be just enough to convince you to keep everything the same. And you are trading a first-round pick for the right to pay a guy in his second contract, right? Which like you're is, trading away, you're trading away a good salary cap situation, which yeah. is a young first round player that you yep. pay a rookie salary, yep. so you can pay a veteran player more money. Who's been a little shaky the last yeah. couple of years? It's not like the the Bears traded for Khalil Mack, but at least you knew you were getting the AFC or the uh, the NFL's defensive player of the year a couple of years ago, and a guy who's been a, a, an All Pro the last few years. Amari Cooper had an 1,100-yard year a couple of seasons ago when the Raiders went 12-4. and four. And other than that, it ain't been all that great. You know, speaking of ill-advised <laughs> trades, here's an interesting one that I think helps Detroit out a lot in the short term. But there are two trades. One, they traded for Damon Harrison, mm-hmm. the offensive – or excuse me, the uh, defensive tackle. Snacks. Who's, who's helped out their run defense a lot. Yes. Um, but they traded away Golden <laughs> Tate, where in the short term, I'm with you. I actually like Detroit, Detroit plus 3.5 over Chicago. Um for other reasons, but in this game, okay, Damon Harrison helps their run defense. That's awesome, but we're talking about an NFL that we just discussed is headed completely towards 
prolific offense and whatnot, and yeah. you traded away one of your wide receivers. In this game, though, where Mitchell Trubisky is banged up, you might see you might see Chase Daniel. I'm not sure who ends up starting this game, but their run game for Chicago is probably more important than it would have been otherwise. Yeah, they may and, lean on it. They, yeah. they may lean on Howard and Cohen and, and try to try to pound the rock a little bit. I, I almost want to see Chase Daniel just so I can stop hearing about Chase Daniel. I, <laughs> I know. I wish he'd why, attempt some more passes. Why is I know? Like, <laughs> we saw him in the preseason this year, right? Yes. And it was a mess, was it not? Yes, it was. Yeah, and uh, and I felt like, okay, good, we'll stop hearing about Chase Daniel. But we might see it again. I either need him to come in and just light it up and be the next guy that gets a huge contract based off of one game or just, like, actually finally see him for an entire start in the regular season. I think the best career path you can – the safest career path you can have as an NFL player, other than being a special you – know, like an elite specialist like a kicker or a punter, in terms of your bodily safety, is being a backup quarterback for a well-coached offensive team. Right. I'd love to go. That'd be some fun research Brian to do. Hoyer. Brian Hoyer's still got a job up in Ever, England. Matt Cass, anybody who's backed up Tom Brady and not yeah. been a knucklehead like Ryan Mallett, pretty much, right? Uh, you know, Jimmy now Jimmy Garoppolo is expected to be an elite quarterback, so that's not a great example. But Hoyer's a good example. Matt Castle is a good example. I think Chase Daniel is a good example. Chase Daniel's getting these contracts because he was a he was a backup for Sean Payton, and then he's a backup for Andy Reid, and you know, it's so. They they feel like well he's been in the system right. well, and they see Nagy's, a couple preseason games system yeah. yeah and and there you go because that's what they want is to be able to just run their system I'd like to see him too just because he's in this new NFL that you're talking about like I of course I'm just remembering back to Chase Daniel when he was a pudgy little quarterback for Pinkle at Missouri but he was kind of part of that new age of quarter like sort of spread quarterbacks that kind of were a little bit frisky with their well, legs right. and, and zipping the ball that, around a guy that might not have gotten as much of a chance 7 8 9 years ago yeah. where now all of a sudden cuz really these this is the real tragedy those quarterbacks from the mid 2000s that didn't get any chance at all because yeah. they came from an air raid system or a spread system <sighs> and ah they'll never make it like whereas if, if anything it was just that NFL coaches were way too stodgy yeah. some of those guys are out selling insurance somewhere right, right. now, yeah. you know, and they never got a sniff of the NFL. <laughs> now the now guys are getting drafted off of, uh, you know, air raid teams. You get drafted in the third round, you have life-changing money. I still don't know what to make of Case Keenum. Now we're going to get way off topic here, but I just I finished his book uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, thumbs up, Case thumbs down. Oh, it's okay. You know what it is? It's a very faith-based book, so yeah. it's kind of his testimony. That's not quite my bag of uh, tricks. I like, I enjoy reading that yeah, stuff, yeah. even though I'm not a very religious person. Um, but there's also this. For one, he didn't like. He's not coming off of winning a championship, and two. Though he's struggled with the perception of him as a quarterback, he's led a pretty vanilla life. You know, like the the, right. the time of turmoil in this book, like his dark spots were kind of like, well, after surgery, I was pretty grumpy. And uh, <laughs> I didn't treat the people around me very well. And I, I wasn't true to myself. I'm like, all right. But like, okay, did you did you start doing pills? <laughs> right, right. Did you, uh, did did you, you experiment <laughs> with heroin? <laughs> did, you, did you leave your wife for a while or anything? <laughs> Give me some drama. Give me yeah. some pathos. Yeah. Um, no, anger. That's his drama. But other than that, it's a, like it's a nice story mm -hmm. about a really nice kid and a nice, uh, sure, a nice sure. deal. And I'm sure uh, it it uh, sure it made me. I, I guess maybe now I believe in things I didn't believe before. <laughs> there you go. Hey, one other factoid on that Detroit Chicago game. Uh, with again, the Lions are a home dog in this game. Uh, 
Chicago is on about as short a turnaround as the NFL could possibly allow. Sunday night. Sunday night to Thursday at 11.30 a.m. Central Time. Ew. And I know the Detroit's in the Eastern Time Zone, but Chicago is a centrally based team. Right. Yeah. And that's uh, still that 11.30 a.m. Even I made I remember making that adjustment coming from Jacksonville to Houston, even though obviously your body clock is – well, no, the body clock matters because I we're starting playing games at noon versus – 1 p.m. It, yeah. sh- it sounds like it shouldn't make a difference. I I had the hardest time the first few games, like getting my body actually ready to go. It yeah, just, it just didn't feel right. Yeah. Um, college. Yes. Give them to me here. I mean, I'm intrigued by. Let's start off with UCF over you. Uh, South Florida. Yeah, yeah, yeah. UCF over USF. Here's my handicap on this game, Seth. I I think maybe on this podcast, but I know on my show. I said that I think Houston is going to destroy USF four weeks ago. And this is when USF was number 21 in the country and undefeated. But if you looked at their record, if you looked at their games, they were hanging on by the skin of their balls, man. They were – they were. <laughs> that's the worst place to be hanging on. <laughs> that's the worst skin to be hanging. Um, they, they had the, – the week before they played – U of H, they beat UConn, who might be the worst team in Division One football, by eight points. Mm-hmm. So U of H destroyed USF, exposed them as the frauds they are. They've lost every game by double digits since then. So USF just isn't a very good team, and I don't think they have a great home field advantage as a result. I don't think the USF fans are going to be out in full force Thanksgiving weekend to watch their team get massacred by a UCF team who moved up to number nine in the college football playoff rankings yeah. this week. And – they're not going to make the playoff. It's hard to win back-to-back national championships. It is. It is. I, I get it. I, if someone gets them, it'll be in the American Athletic Conference championship game the following week. But anyways, they, there is still a narrative and a story that can be sold to those players by Josh Heupel, their head coach, where, hey, there's still some things that can happen for us the next couple of weeks yeah. where they need to go out and impress the committee with just a romp over whoever it is they play. So that's why those are the two reasons I like them in that game. And at the very least have that chip on their shoulder about how they're not getting the respect they deserve, regardless yeah. of what happens in the playoffs. Games, because everybody above them right now plays everybody above them right now. So or, they, like, there's or, no way, or they play cupcakes. They, they play, right, right. So the likely, the teams that are going to lose are losing to top 10 opponents. That's right. Georgia and, and Alabama play each other, Ohio State and Michigan. Yeah. Ohio State's actually behind UCF right now. But That's if they, right, yeah. But if they, but I think your point is a valid one. If they beat Michigan, they're going to jump UCF. Yeah. You know, if they beat the number four team in the country, that'll be enough to skip them ahead. So uh, that's why I like UCF. You've got thing. Michigan over Ohio State. Yes. Uh, I think the Urban Meyer and whatever the hell's going on with him, Health-wise and otherwise, does I, he look as terrible to you as he does to me? I just, I, and I, it's, I don't know if irony is the right word. I almost feel like this is. Uh, did you watch Making a Murderer? No. I have not. Okay, uh, in that in that documentary, and who knows how accurate it is and whether the guy actually did it or not. Right. Basically, he's falsely accused of a crime early on in his life, and he was definitely falsely accused. Somebody else actually raped this woman, um, but this guy gets accused of it. He does his time, gets released, um, but then all of a sudden gets accused of committing another murder. I personally think he did the murder. A lot of other people listening right now will be angry that I said that, but regardless... Let's say for for the sake of argument, he might have actually accused that. I feel like Urban Meyer is now in the situation where I think he's genuinely physically sick. Yeah, but he's already made this bed for himself where nobody <laughs> believes that he actually right like five left years Florida ago. because he yes. was sick. Then nobody wants to give him any sympathy given yeah. everything else that's occurred. Yeah, I, I think I went I went and saw Creed two last night. And there were a couple instances, I'm not going to say, there were multiple fights in the movie, so I'm not giving anything away here. But at one point in the movie, I'm not even going to say which fighter it was, but at one point in the movie, there was a fighter in one of the fights who who got up at like the eight count, both like t- twice in a row, 
and was on like rubbery legs both times. And at that point, you're just waiting for the left uppercut. Yeah. That's what I feel like Ohio State. Forget about Urban Meyer. That's what I feel like Ohio State is right now, where they they beat Nebraska by five points at home a couple of weeks ago. They needed a, they needed wild, Maryland wild finish. They yeah. needed Maryland to royally screw up a two point conversion. A guy's standing open in the end zone, and the quarterback just misses him. So they should have lost that game also. Meanwhile, Michigan, eh, they probably a look-ahead spot for them last week. They didn't look that great against Indiana. They still won, wound up winning by double digits. But Michigan, by and large, over the last six, seven weeks, has been playing really good football, like really powerful, good on both sides. Shea Patterson getting his legs under him, the quarterback um, kind of football. This is this Ohio State team is is a team that's gotten up twice at a standing eight or nine count, and they're waiting for somebody to come in and just cave their face. Yeah, in. <laughs> and that's uh, what Michigan is. And Harbaugh Colin, uh, and Harbaugh is a bully. He is. That's a he good is point a bully. too. Like it might it might end up getting uglier mm-hmm. than just the just the topple over. Yep. He'd be like, yeah, like he would like the uppercut and then pouncing on him as the ref tries <laughs> right. to pull him off of him. Right, Colin Coward. Reported that two sources told him Meyer would retire after the 2018 season, possibly as soon as after the. Michigan I've been saying game. it since before the season. Yeah. I don't think he'll coach Ohio State in 2019. Before the season, me and Paul Feinbaum, we were the only two. <laughs> um, but now I, you've got you've got this, and I asked Mike Meltzer this because I felt a little embarrassed that I didn't know that the name of Notre Dame versus USC was. The battle for the jeweled shillelagh. Yeah, had you until heard you that rem- before? Yeah, until you reminded me, I would have forgot. If you had asked me what's the name of the what, like what's the name of the rivalry, I would have said I know there's a cane involved. Okay, but it's at, it's a shillelagh. So that's actually. where I know I read this article and yeah. it was kind of dropping this name like it, it didn't even give me the education behind it. I thought this was one of those college football things that I don't that think, I should have known. No, dude. I went to Notre Dame, and I don't think I knew about it until, like, the mid-'90s that there was a jeweled shillelagh involved. Quick uh, quick side topic. Yeah. I watched the first episode of Martin with my daughter last night, my wife and my daughter. My wife's a huge Martin Lawrence <laughs> fan, so she's like, we got to watch Martin again. <laughs> it's rare that a first episode of a sitcom's very good. Yes. This was doing all right until then. Shanene shows up in the first episode, and <laughs> – it just it, that that must. Are you bringing have been this up because Shanene rhymes with shillelagh? Yeah, yeah. So I just realized that the battle for the jeweled sh- Shanene would have been even better. I no, I'm watching this. Shanene is one of the funniest characters that's yeah. ever been, and I forgot just how funny Shanene was. They need to make a box set. They need to, two box sets. We need. We need a box set. Do they? First of all, do they even make box sets anymore? Are we no, just no, downloading yeah. it off of iTunes. God, I'm showing my age. But even if it were like a compilation, I'll call it a compilation. We need a compilation of the pilot episodes of, like, the 30 greatest shows of all oh, time. Oh, yeah. Because Seinfeld and sucked. Seinfeld was terrible. Uh, the Simpsons was awful oh, the first oh, yeah. couple of years. Well, even when I, I can't imagine. I used to like The Simpsons when it was on the Tracy Allman show. Yeah, and I now you watch it. Like, it. Yeah, I don't even see where the joke. It wasn't just the bad animation. No. The, the jokes weren't funny. It wasn't funny. It looks like somebody threw battery acid at the screen at the regular Simpsons that we got used to because yeah. the characters, the drawings are terrible. So The Simpsons, even the first season of The Office is a little shaky. Maybe um, that's my issue with The Office. Maybe I need to go back and fight my way through the first season. Did you not get to season two? I never did. I started I, watching. And I'm like, I don't know. Eh. I, I, I would. You know what? Scrap the Just first skip season. It. Start what do I need to know? I knew Jim and the secretary chick like each other. They, and but they it's still a casual do in, flirtation. And they still do in season two. Okay. You need to know that Dwight worships Michael. Dwight okay, Shrew, yeah. Rain Wilson worships Steve Carell's character. And other than that, it's just a lot of peripheral characters that are much better developed in seasons two and three. I, I'm not going to promise you anything because everybody likes what they like. 
but start the office. And the thing about sitcoms, Seth, is they're easy watches, especially sitcoms that were on network TV. Each episode's twenty minutes long, yeah. So you it's get, an easy watch. You get through, right, you get right through. I think you'll like. I'm starting to think of what the first couple, two, three episodes of season two were. The Office. They're really funny. I, if if you get time, and this is a good weekend to binge watch things, watch a few episodes. But I would do a compilation of pilots and a compilation of series finales. Um, I would buy that. I just realized Eddie, the producer, is waiting for me to record a couple ads. So All I'm right, going to well do Notre Dame. You're you're picking Notre Dame over USC. I am. USC's five and six on the season, so there'll be some out there saying, "Well, they've got motivation." to get bowl eligible their coach <laughs> is about to get fired i feel like a team of college kids that are five and six living in los angeles they're ready to live three more weeks of the la life yeah than they are ready to it, prepare for a bowl game with a lame duck coach or an interim coach that's a very good point sean have a great thanksgiving you too appreciate Seth. you coming in always enjoy early, it man. man awesome so there you have it sean t pendergast and i'm going to tell you one thing that i've discovered when i'm talking solo into the mic I have a hard time not trying to emulate Ross Tucker, and I don't know if he's because he's a similarly kind of slurry-voiced ex-athlete, um, but I find myself doing that a lot, and Ross Tucker has said he actually wants to come on the Deceptively Fast podcast, so I'll talk to him about the challenges I'm having with that. A guy who doesn't speak with a slurred voice at all, Michael Lombardi, here he is. Michael, how are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? Good. Sorry about that. Hey, this is what I'm wondering this morning because you know a lot of uh, a lot of the great minds that have been around forever in the NFL. I've been surprised that I haven't heard more people grousing about the lack of defense on the Monday Night Football game. Are people just kind of resigned to what's happening and they're okay moving forward? I think we've kind of accepted the Big 12 mentality around here. You know, I think that's what it is. I think look the way the rules are. I don't know what you could really say. I've been saying this for five years. I had a conversation five years ago with Bill Parcells, and I asked him this question. I said, can anybody play great defense anymore? I mean, this is a guy that understood defense and how to play it, and I think it's really the the day of dominating defense, the 0-2 Ravens, the 85 Bears is over. I think what what we're finding is situational defense. So you've got to be really good in two-minute. You've got to be really good at four-minute drill at the end of the game. You've got to be great in the red zone. You've got to be really good on third and short you got to be good on third downs in the red zone. There's like certain areas where you must play good defense. But to play defense from the 20 all the way down the field and just go three and out, three and out, that ain't happening. Even, you know, the Bears, they think they're a dominating defense. They just must have amnesia about the Patriot game. I mean, the Patriots put 38 up on them. I know 14 of them came from special teams, but they moved the ball effortlessly against them. You know, the other thing that happened in that game, which was strange, was that Andy Reid, I don't think, managed the clock particularly well, and Sean McVay didn't either, but both of them get away with it because Sean McVay won the game and because the Chiefs threw an interception to end the game. But that wasn't really exactly what you would have done in either of those situations, was it? No, I mean, well, first of all, nobody talks about it because nobody really understands it, right? So how can you talk about something you don't understand, right? You know, the touchdown pass for 40 yards out of the two-minute drill, Okay, there's 152 to go in the there's 152 to go in the game. Kansas City has all their timeouts, right? You throw the touchdown pass. Really, I mean, I, I'll argue this to the end. It's a bad call. You know, you got to run the ball there. You have to run the ball there on that down, and then you let the clock go, and then you'll find out what Andy wants to do. Does he want to use his timeout, or you let the 40 second go all the way down, and then call that play? Or you know, now look, I, I want to score too, but I know the Rams were. You knew, and I knew the Rams were going to score. I think it was a really game of poorly mismanaged and what I would call pace and, and, and setting the game up and playing in a style. Both teams were like sprinters just racing to the finish line and not realizing it was more marathon than it was sprint. 
Is it an exaggeration, Mike, coming off of a game like last night and, and seeing that's the class of the NFL to say, hey, if I'm building a team in the NFL in 2018, 2019, then I need to invest more of my resources offensively. Is that an exaggeration or would you follow that idea? I don't think that's an exaggeration. I think that's been going on since 1984. Just go, go to Pro Football Reference and look at Bill Walsh's one-loss record, home and on the road. What's always won in this league is the ability to win on the road has been because of your offense. I mean, that's really been the case. I mean, Jacksonville last year with their bad offense almost won two road playoff games. You've got to win on the road with your offense. You just can't go on the road. I mean, it it happens in college. It happens in pros. I mean, Cincinnati's playing great defense. They go down to Central Florida. Defense can't carry you. Your offense has to carry you on the road. The defense keep you in the game but it can't carry you. And I think that's what we've seen in the way the rules have changed so much that it, it just makes the offense really, really become more important. And that's what I wrote about on, on the, for the athletic. I wrote about how this team building element, you know, you've got to build, it starts with the offense and defensive lines. And if you don't have those two lines and a quarterback, you're not going anywhere. Going into this season and what we've seen from them thus far, I think it's safe to say that the Jaguars have ended up being the biggest frauds this year, but, 12 weeks into the NFL season, Mike, as we start week 12 on Thanksgiving, who is the biggest fraud based off of their record right now? Well, look, I think the Jacksonville Jaguars have misevaluated it, and it starts with Blake Bortles. Like, I've had enough. Like, I've taken a lot of crap from people on Blake Bortles, and, you know, that performance on Sunday was enough because what they did, if you just understand a little bit of football, what they did in that game was say, look, Blake's not going to beat us. We're not even going to let Blake compete in this game. We're just going to throw crossers, hand the ball off, and we're going to make sure that Blake doesn't turn the ball over. But naturally, Blake took two sacks in an area of the field where you can't take sacks. Just one time I want to watch a pro game where the announcer says, where where they put up a graphic up on the screen and says, and show the fans areas of the field you can't take a sack in. You just can't take a sack here. You know, you can take a sack in the red zone on your own, on the opponent's 10-yard line, and you're holding the ball because you're waiting for somebody to get open. No problem. Take the sack there. But you can't take the sack at your opponent's 41-yard line and and get knocked out of field goal range. Those are things you can't do, and the fans don't understand it. The fans just think, oh, we got sacked, big deal. No, you can't take a sack there. That's coaching. And Blake naturally took two of them there. He couldn't wait to do it. And so, to me, they're the biggest disappointment. In, in this sense, they thought this guy was a good player. And, I, and, and, Seth, you do, and as I will, I have great respect for Tom Coughlin. I have respect for Doug Marone. And I don't know how David Caldwell could convince them that Blake Bortles was their answer at quarterback. I have no idea how that happened. I don't know either, other than that, you know, the one thing I always thought about Coughlin, including back when I played in Jacksonville, if there's a weakness of his as an evaluator, it might be just that he's in love with measurables in terms of size. Like, if you look like the prototype as an offensive lineman, Eric Flowers kind of looks like the prototype and ends up going in the first round as an offensive lineman. I, I wonder if it's as simple as that, but that's hard to... It's hard to jive that with, like, he doesn't have the prototypical <laughs> arm of a guy that looks like that. That's a really astute comment because here's where here's why you're completely dead on. So Tom has always been involved in a size-speed grading system in college. And so what that means is is by defining the size and the speed of, of what you want from each player at each position, it weeds out the other players. Remember, scouting is about elimination. It's never about finding And so the way Tom has been brought up in his career has been through a size-speed grading system that started with Bucko Kilroy at the the New England Patriots and Gil Brandt. It's a grading lettering system based on the prototypes of the position. So you're completely correct. And Bortles does fit the size-speed chart. There's no doubt about that. However, at some point, you still have to play football. At some point, you still have to participate in the games. And if you're going to be paid what he's getting paid, at some point, you've got to win games. 
you can't just manage him. I mean, they would be so better off to find a, a single-wing quarterback and let him play. <laughs> Mike, the Texans are 7-3, and three, even though it may not feel quite like 7-3 and three normally would. If you were in our seats here, how would you judge their success the rest of the way? Look, I think to me, you, you just you say to yourself, "Look, we're grateful to be seven and three. We, we've we've turned the ball over in two games. We probably shouldn't have won the Buffalo game at home and the Washington game on the road. And we got a huge break by Frank Wright going for it on fourth down. We've been very fortunate. And I think uh, Bill O'Brien's message to his team is, "Look, we got to keep getting better, fellas. We got to keep improving, and we're going to have to keep putting these games away and not do these turnovers and not make mistakes to beat ourselves because it's going to catch up to us in the end." I think that's the message. They're fortunate. They've got to keep moving. But they have, and the other thing is I think that, that Bill's message to the team is real simple. We haven't played our best game yet. We, they have not played a great game yet. And I think that's got, to be the, that's got to be the strive for excellence, which is what's got to carry this team as they get into November, as they get late November, December. What should we make of the Titans after a very weird two-week stretch where they killed New England and got killed by Indy? Well, look, the Titans are all about the opponent. I think they're a matchup team, basically. I mean, they got hammered by Baltimore. They went over. They played the Chargers really well. I think Mike Vrabel's decision to go for two was really head-scratching, as a lot of these decisions to go for two have been this season. But they're inconsistent. I think you can attack their secondary if you can protect up front. I mean, that's going to be the key component. And Andrew Luck got the ball out very quickly. Look, there's a reason why the Colts are so good on third down. It started in Philadelphia. Philadelphia was the best third down team in football last year. They were great in the red zone on third down. They were great at converting third and seven or more. Frank Wright left. The Eagles can't convert a third down to save their life. And the Colts can completely. So I think Wright's really good at managing third down with his style of offense. And I think that's what gave him an advantage against Tennessee. And that's really what wins games. Baltimore did it against them, and the Colts did it against them. The two teams they didn't beat, the two teams they dominated, Dallas and New England, couldn't do it. Michael, uh, we all know what happened with the safety market and free agency. It was just kind of dead this offseason. Then the Texans drafted Justin Reed uh, a lot lower than perhaps where maybe he would have gone in a different year. What exactly is going on with safeties right now in the, the market, both in the draft and free agency? Look, I think that the idea that in-the-box safety, unless you're playing the, the Seattle scheme, which Jacksonville plays and the, and the Chargers play, unless you're just married – to that Pete Carroll cover three Cam Chancellor scheme, which used to be Joey Browner back in the day. You can go back to the 85 Vikings and, and draw parallels to all the players on the 85 Vikings to what Seattle does today. There's really no place for a cover three safety. You've got to be able to play safety. You've got to play man to man and you've got to be able to play on at least two levels. You've got to play on the second level and you've got to play on the third level, meaning you've got to play in the box and you've got to be able to make plays high. And I think that's what really creates the, the, the best players for safety. We're eventually going to see four corners play in the secondary because of the matchups that are going on. It's really more about coverage than it is about tackling. I wrote about it in my book, Gridiron Genius. You know, Jamal Adams is a great player. There's no doubt he's a tremendous player, and he'll knock the hell out of you. But that being said, the rules don't let him play be Jamal Adams. He's got to be a softer, lesser version of himself, and that's not really what you want to spend a high draft pick for. I would. Ronnie Lott played today. He couldn't be the Ronnie Lott of old. Michael Lombardi, he is the author of Gridiron Genius. It's a great book. You can also find him on The Athletic and on The Ringer. Thanks a lot, Michael. Have a great Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Bye-bye. All right. A lot to digest and unwrap there. I'm going to think about that over Thanksgiving and get back to you guys on Friday. I know I've promised you my power rankings of the best types of bears. Listen, 
This has been a much more grueling research process than I had anticipated. I'm going to tell you this. Uh, I've got way more respect for the black bear than I used to. The North American black bear has by far killed the most people in North America of any other types of bears. I think part of that's due to proximity to humans, but they're fierce little bastards. And it's not just a mother separated from her cubs that you have to worry about. The female bears only account for about 10% of the fatal black bear attacks. lot to learn. I might have to do like an NPR style bear power rankings i might bring in a zoo expert we've got the houston zoo here people there know me i'm connected at the zoo don't ask me for favors or to hook you up i'm not that well connected uh but i will get that out to you thanks again to clint shane for suggesting it uh and in fact i don't thank clint shane i curse him for putting this burden on me now because now i feel like i don't know nearly as much about bears as i should as a red-blooded american happy thanksgiving everybody